Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Eric Dean and Patrick Stedman to break down everything going on in avalanche land. And boy, do we have a lot to break down today, Arif. We do. Uh, this is the second time in what? three days that you and I go do do some kind of a radio show or a podcast together where news breaks either just as we go on the air or right before we start recording. This time it's the Josh Manson trade to the Avs. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to Saturday when you and I were gearing up to have a fun little hockey show and we were relaxed, we were prepared. And right as the hockey show starts, that news drops right on our heads and neither of us were really ready for it. We kind of had to sort our way through that show under the chaos and kind of, you know, wade our way through it, but we, we did it. But if it correct was, me if I'm wrong, real quick, last time you joined me on the hockey show, something very similar happened and you got to break news on air. I remember you getting kind of excited about it. Nicholas Obey Kubel getting picked up off waivers. That's what it was. But this time around, it was literally like no word of a lie. The Avalanche had their practice at 11 a.m. at Family Sports per usual, and I skipped that so that we can be at Mile High Sports Studios to go on the air exactly at noon. Well, the Jared Bednar press conference started at 11.59. The Gabe Landeskog tweets, like the words came out of Bednar's mouth that Gabe Landeskog is going to have knee surgery and be out for the foreseeable future, literally at 12.00, like on the dot, 12 p.m. noon, just as we went on the air. So we started the show and had to scrap everything. This time, we at least had a couple hours to prepare for the fact <laughs> that Joe Sackick was nice enough to trade Josh Manson, not when we start recording, which, by the way, is fine with a podcast because you can always stop, regroup, and restart on like a live radio show. But this time, he did it while I was at the gym. So we had a little bit of time to prepare before the podcast to get this news out there and to basically kind of gather our thoughts on the fact that the Avalanche just acquired a top four defenseman ahead of the trade deadline by a week. Yeah, I mean, don't give the people the wrong idea. We don't really stop and regroup very frequently on this show. We usually go start yeah, to but finish. No, 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 no. We, we, we don't do that. But if we were about to start recording and the news broke about Josh Manson yeah. being traded, I'd be like, hey, guys, let's wait a couple minutes while we figure out what's going on. You can't do that with a radio show. We went on air at noon. There's no, haste. let's stop and start over in five minutes. Like, it's, you're on the air, man. I was so rattled. I remember looking at you at the first commercial break. I'm like, I, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. I'm so, like, <laughs> lost. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to this trade. I think it's something that we can all get excited about, right? I mean, we got a right-handed D coming in, something that the Avalanche lacked. You got a, a big body coming in, something the Avalanche kind of lacked, somebody who likes to throw it around. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the acquisition so far, obviously, we got to see what he does on the ice, but I there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to fit in pretty well on this team. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of guy that teams are always uh, going hard after when the, when the trade deadline comes around. It's those minute-munching guys that can give you 20 minutes a night, and that's the key. He plays 19.45 a night, and I'm gonna that's his time on ice average this season. I'm going to get back to that in a second, but these are the guys that are always being like targeted big time at the trade deadline. Dennis Savard for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jan Ruda, I believe the year before for the Tampa Bay Lightning. There's always that one guy that comes in at the deadline that kind of helps shore up your defense. Now, going back to the time on ice thing, Sam Gerrard's out right now, obviously. He's out for four weeks, but let's say it's the playoffs and the Avalanche's defense is healthy, minus Byram, because that's still a wild card, although the news is getting better. Well, what have I been talking about for the last couple months when we do the show? It's... The Avalanche's defense are split into two segments. It's the top three and the bottom three. You have Devontae's and Kale McCarr playing 25 minutes and then Sam Gerrard playing 21. And then you jump way down and Murray, Jack, and Eric slash Curtis McDermott are like 15, 15, 15 for those first three guys. So now you have that clear-cut number four guy in Josh Manson who can give you 19 or 20 minutes a night, likely on the second pair alongside Sam Gerrard playing below the the big dominant pair of Taves and Makar. And then you still have a third pair where you got Jack Johnson, Eric Johnson, Ryan Murray, Curtis McDermott can play in a pinch. You still got, you know, potentially another guy coming in at the deadline. Who the heck knows? And of course, the wild card that is, this shiny young kid named Bowen Byram, who if he's healthy, is an outstanding player in his own. And maybe even could push Manson down the lineup. You never freaking know. Like, 
this is a prime position for the Avalanche's defense to have depth that I've been talking about all year. No more Keaton Middletons and Kyle Burrows. Hell, Curtis McDermott might not see another minute of ice time as on as a defenseman in the playoffs. He might be just that 12th forward whenever they play him. This is what the Avalanche needed. And it's, you know, obviously depends how he plays. But the first reaction I have to this is good job by Joe Sackick and especially doing it by getting ahead of the deadline. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about what he brings to the table. I mean, I, you look at these last couple Calgary games too, right? The the two matchups that we've had with Calgary in the last couple weeks, and you've seen a lot of fans kind of fawning and, and reminiscing over Nikita Zadorov, right? But here you have a perfect replacement, almost an identical. I mean, I think I, I've seen them I even fight. That. They've fought each other before. I'm almost 100% positive, almost. Um, so, you know, a guy who's willing to step up to Nikita Zadorov. It's a good sign, right? He's a big body. And one thing I really like about him, too, is he's the son of a former NHLer, right? Those guys always tend to have that higher hockey IQ because they've been around the game since they were little. They've watched their parents do it, and they even get the inside information sometimes from his own dad. So a lot to like about this guy. I just named only a few. I have more to get into, but let me get your reactions on those. Well, for starters, while you were talking, I Googled it, and what a memory. January 19th, 2017, Nikita Zadorov fights Josh Manson in Anaheim. So good on you for that. That's an impressive. When you remember something that my nerdy ass doesn't remember, I'm always impressed. That's pretty <laughs> legit. So um, that's number one. Number two, I love the comparison. Uh, that's the kind of guy that the Avalanche were missing. Obviously, the the knock on Zadorov was how high is his hockey IQ and how much of a minute mun- minute munching defenseman can he be? Obviously, while playing that role, the big thing with Zadorov is can you trust him to play twenty minutes? Well, the thing with Manson is, you know from his past experiences that you can trust him to play twenty minutes. It's just a matter of making sure he fits in with your team to do the exact same thing. And now you've got the exactly that guy. This is the guy we've been talking about all season. The Avalanche have a bunch of guys that are offensive, that are smaller, that don't hit as much. And I know, and I don't mean that as a disrespect, Kale McCarr can lay out a hit. Devon Taves can hold his own. Um, that's basically it. You know, I've never seen Bowen Byram throw a big hit, and Sam Gerrard is excellent at escaping hits until recently a little bit. He but, throws uh, one here and there. Which one, Gerrard or Byram? Gerrard. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, and he'll fight you know, a little guy like Alex DeBrinkett. But now you got Josh Manson. He's what, 6'3", 195, I want to say. He's a bigger body. He plays a mean game. And uh, hey, when you're going into series against teams like Vegas, who <laughs> might not even make the playoffs, Vegas last year, I should say, the Calgary Flames this year, more of these meaner teams, the Dallas Stars, the Nashville Predators that can kind of kill you with their fourth line, you now have this guy named Josh Manson who can play that role but also does have that high hockey IQ, the son of former NHLer Dave Manson, and he can do it playing 18, 19, 20 minutes a night and being your undisputed, clear-cut, number four defenseman that's going to give you more minutes than Eric, Jack, and Murray and less minutes than Kale and Devon and right around on par with Sam Gerrard. Yeah, and let's not get it twisted, right? Dave Manson was a, a mean player. He was known for his physicality. So um, I don't think Josh Manson's quite to that level, but you sacrifice a little bit of that meanness and that, uh, I guess, a little bit of size, and you get a little bit more hockey IQ in Josh Manson than, it's, than his it's, dad. It's the new age NHL. This is how it is. Right. I mean, look at Ty Domi's kid, Max Domi. He's not sure. by any means the crazy uh, fireball that his father was, but he could still hold his own when, when need be. Yeah, the cut the Kachucks aren't necessarily big guys, right? But they're mean and they they yeah. know the game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I think you look at Josh Manson's points and his uh, offensive production, and it's not exactly something that excites you. But kind of what you mentioned with the other guys that they have in the lineup, I think naturally he's going to be more of an offensive producer, kind of like everybody else is is on this team, right? I mean, everybody, look at Devon Taves, for example. Look at Nazem Kadri hops onto this team, and with the added talent around him and more options to pass to and more threats, they just naturally all produce more offensively. So while you might not be overwhelmed with his offensive numbers just yet, you know, give him a shot in this system and see what he can possibly produce. Because, you know, like I said, even a guy like Devon Taves is breaking career highs. I'll take you one better than that, and I'll say, who cares? You're not bringing in this. You're not bringing in this guy to put up points. Your defensemen are 
far and away the highest scoring D corpse in the NHL, far and away sure. the highest scoring point producing corpse in the NHL. You're bringing in a guy like Jack Johnson, but a lot better. Jack Johnson's got what one goal, seven assists. I want to say Ryan Murray's not putting up big points either. So let the guys that need to put up the points, put up the points. And that's kale. That's Devon. That's Sam Gerard, who Sam Gerard's having a little bit of an off year offensively. Um, but that's not what you need. I mean, we're talking about the Avalanche's defense. Eric Johnson kind of slowed way down after an early push offensively. Ryan Murray has four assists in 34 games. That's all he's brought to the table. Jack Johnson obviously is is uh, hasn't even hit 10 points yet, I don't think, either. So your, your points are coming from those top guys. You're not bringing in Josh to give you points. You're bringing in Josh to play a defensive, mean game. And I was right. Jack Johnson's got one goal, seven assists. So... Those are the guys that are going to be producing points. And then there's still the Bowen Byram conversation of if he comes back, you know, he'll pitch in offensively as well. But you've got enough offense to go around from the D right now. Josh Manson's not here to put up points, but if he does great. And like you said, when you're playing on this team, when you're playing with these guys, you're probably going to put in a little more points than you usually would elsewhere. Yeah. And that's all I was saying is he's going to get more points yeah, than damn you it, see Eric, on That's paper. all I wanted. To, yeah. That's all um, I was going to say. <laughs> Well, and it, it brings me back, I, I don't know if it was last podcast, last week, I mean, we do so many shows together now, I don't know, it's all jumbled, but I remember we were talking about maybe bringing Kevin Shattenkirk in, right? Another defenseman there in Anaheim, a little bit older than Josh Manson, a little bit smaller than Josh Manson. I think Joe Sackick really one-upped us on that one. Yeah, I think that was a good idea, too. With Kevin Shattenkirk, you know what you're going to get with him in that depth role, but this one just kind of served a bigger purpose. The guy that I've had my eyes on for a little while here is Luke Shen in Vancouver. And especially because Luke Shen's under contract for one more season at like 800 K. So that's a good depth defenseman that you can rely on for making less than a million next season. But screw it, man. This isn't about next season. This is about this year. It's about going all in and trading drew Hellison. We should probably, you know, talk about what the avalanche gave up trading a former second rounder and drew Hellison in a 2023 second rounder for a rental top four defenseman. That's the going great, man. Basically, two second-round picks. That's the going great for a guy like Josh Manson. And uh, Joe Sackick did a great job of getting ahead of the deadline and kind of, you know, calling everybody's bluff and doing this when nobody expected. Yeah, I think uh, there's a little bit of a part of people that are upset to see Hellison go because, you know, that's just one of the few names that are really exciting in the Avs prospect pipeline. So it stinks to not get to see him through. You know, we got to see him a little bit in the Olympics and everybody's just kind of been buzzing around Hellison for a while, but you got to crack eggs to make an omelet. I, I say it all the time and, and you get a really good player in Josh Manson. So you're essentially giving up what Hellison, you're giving up what Josh Manson used to be for what Hellison might be one day, right? So I think it's also a really good sign that Josh Manson wears the A or at least wore the A in Anaheim, just another, I guess, uh, prototype avalanche player. When you're in the market for, when when you're in your window of winning a Stanley Cup, um, nothing else matters. So let me kind of give you two player names, and let's see if you remember these guys. You probably will. These are not very old guys. Do you remember the defenseman Tom Gilbert? Yes. Do you remember the defenseman Keith Ballard? No. Keith Ballard, uh, for easy reference, the defenseman that whacked his stick and hit Tom Vokun. Thomas Vokun, remember that play where he hit his own goalie in the head after giving up a goal trying to break yep, his stick on yep, the net? Yep, yep, yep. Um, Keith Ballard played, I want to say, <laughs> a thousand games in the NHL. And Tom Gilbert played a pretty decent amount. Now, the reason why I bring up both those guys is because those were two Avalanche prospects. Those were two guys that the Avalanche had. In the 2004 trade deadline, when the Avalanche were going all in, this is the year they had Korea Solani. This is the year that, you know, Peter Forsberg, was, there was rumors, you know, with or without an NHL rockout the following season, there were rumors that Peter Forsberg was going to go to Sweden. There was a whole bunch of things going on with this team. So on March 8, 2004, the Avalanche traded Tom Gilbert to the Edmonton Oilers for a sixth-round draft pick and one goaltender, Tommy Sallow, former Edmonton Oilers guy. They brought in Tommy Sallow, and they traded this prospect. Then with Keith Ballard, they traded Derek Morris and Keith Ballard, who was a prospect at the time, to the Arizona Coyotes for Chris Gratton, 
Aussie Vanninen and a second round draft pick. So they were trying to shore up their forward and their decor by switching up Morris for Vanninen and a prospect for a forward in Chris Gratton who plays a rugged game. We all remember Chris Gratton. And that second round draft pick, by the way, ended up being Paul Stastny. So they did pretty good there. Moral of the story, those top four defensemen, those those guys that end up being crucial players in the NHL later on, who cares about them right now? Right now, your goal isn't to wait for Drew Hellison and hell, we might be having this conversation about Justin Barron next week. Your goal is not to wait for these guys to develop. Your goal is to win the Stanley Cup, and if it takes these guys, it takes these guys. Let me give you one more defenseman name before before I, I move on. Robin Regeer. You remember Robin Regeer? Yep. Robin Regeer was part of the trade that brought Ray Bork to the Avalanche. So he was another Avalanche prospect, and he was another big defenseman that uh, played big uh, that played big minutes. Oh no no no! Sorry, not Ray Bork. Robin Regeer was traded by the Avalanche to the Calgary Flames in the trade that bought Theo Fleury in as a trade deadline rental. So Robin Regeer, who played all these games with the Calgary Flames, was part of their top four for forever. Was once an Avalanche prospect. Who cares? Right now, Joe Sackick is in who cares mode. Unload whoever you need to unload. You have the guys you need. You still have young guys like Newhook and Byram and all these guys that you know are going to be players. And Kel McCarr is like younger than me. Devon Taves is younger than me. These are guys that are going to be around for a while. These prospects that we fawn over and we love, right now is the time to unload them. I'm with it. So with the who cares mode, let's get into kind of the cap implications, right? I'm, I know a lot of Avs fans are kind of asking, well, what the heck does this mean? Do, can they still afford to get out there and go get another forward? Can they still afford to uh, maintain the, the players that they have right now during the regular season. So, Eric, why don't you break down kind of what the cap looks like for the Avalanche and what they have room to do moving forward. Yeah, so right now with this trade, the Avalanche, before the trade, had about $3.3 million in trade deadline cap space. Obviously, I say in trade deadline cap space because when you're acquiring a player, you're acquiring only a portion of his salary because the season is prorated. So $3.3 million in trade deadline cap space, and you got Josh Manson at half cap, which is $2.05. So that leaves you with about roughly $1 million to mess with, and that's pretty much all you got. So let's pretend this trade never happened. That $3.3 million, in order for the Avalanche to bring in Claude Giroux's $4 million, and that's assuming that, in, that Philadelphia retains half the cap— they would have to unload $1 million. So like you would have needed to trade, let's say, Tyson Joseph's $2 million to have 5.3 in cap to bring in Claude Giroux at four and a half or four and a quarter. Now, here's the thing. I'm talking about all these numbers and them only having one more million in salary cap space. And we're not even talking about the fact that once Gabe Landeskog goes on LTIR, which is what the expectation is, that one million is suddenly eight million. Ooh, eight million. Then they can do a lot with eight million. So Obviously, eight million is a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we know uh, you just broke it down for us there. How much Giroux's going to cost? But I think that's really the biggest target at this point, right? I mean, they have the the cap space now. All those question marks are behind them now. I think they can go target in and really knock out this this transaction here. I could see them bringing in two forwards. As crazy as that sounds, and as disruptive as we like to say to the locker room that that is. I could see them bringing in Claude Giroux at half cap or even three quarters cap because now you don't need Philadelphia to retain as much and you don't need to pay him as much. Um, but now the big thing is, just to go back to that, with the Claude Giroux trade, you don't need a third team to, to eat up another 50%. You can just get Claude Giroux at 50% right. eaten by the Flyers. So now you save whatever it would have costed, like a third round draft pick to Detroit for them to eat another 50%. You don't got to do that anymore because of this Landeskog LTIR thing, which, by the way, hasn't been confirmed, but pretty much is the expectation. So... You got about roughly $8 million. If Giroux, you get him at 50% salary and you have roughly $4 million, and this is the assumption that you don't trade any roster players because they might want a JT Comfort or a Tyson Jost back, and now you've cleared up more space. Well, now you have more room to go out there and say, you know, I'm Joe Sackick. Do I want to go out and acquire another depth defenseman or another depth forward? I think they might go the forward route. So you can do quite a bit here. I mean, Someone like Arturi Lekkanen, someone like Brandon Hagel, someone like even Lawson Krauss. I mean, these guys will cost a ton. Those are three really, really good depth guys. But those are three huge pickups for the Avalanche if they brought one of those guys in and a Claude Giroux. Knowing very well, Claude Giroux will instantly be in your top six for the end of the regular season until Gabe Landeskog comes back. So now when you bring in Claude Giroux, he's not going to play on the third line with Alex Newhook to start. 
assuming you do bring in Giroux. That's a guy that fits right into your top six, pushes Alex Newhook back to the third line, and you have Newhook, O'Connor, Jost, Comfer, maybe another pickup. You got a bunch of guys. You know, you got a bunch of guys to pick from to play on that third line. And then if Landeskog comes back and the other guys on the top six are healthy and you have Claude Drew, well, now one of Valerie Nichushkin, Andre Burakovsky, or Claude Drew are playing on your third line. It's a pretty damn deep team. Yeah, and with that, the possibilities are endless, too, for Joe Sakic to get out there, get creative. If, you know, he loses out on one player, he can double down on a different one yep, that he likes exactly. just as much. And yeah, when when one door closes, like the Gabe Landeskog situation that we could all kind of maybe panic a little bit about and be like, oh no, what's the situation? Two doors open here. So, I mean, while it was a tough spot to be in and hearing that news from Landeskog, it's nice that they can kind of navigate their way through this and really go all in. I mean, and if Joe Sackick makes these moves, that's what he's doing. He's waving that flag saying, this is the year we are going all in. So it would seem maybe that I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity to maybe fix a nagging injury that Gabe had, but this is also kind of a chess move. I mean, this is a strategy move, taking a page out of maybe another team's book that's done this recently. And that's exactly what it is, yeah. This is what they have to do in this climate, right? The the COVID landscape, the limited salary cap that they were hit with earlier, uh, I guess a year ago. I think that you have to get creative, and this was the way you had to do it. I mean, yeah, Tampa Bay kind of gave you the blueprint, and you just had to follow it, but we knew that was going to happen. You knew the the dominoes were going to fall once you saw Tampa Bay successfully implement that strategy. Yeah, and the thing is, I know a lot of people complain about this, and they say this is Bush League, and now you have all these different things that don't really make sense, and you know the salary cap isn't real anymore. Well, you know what? The salary cap has been an issue since it came in. The salary cap doesn't make sense since it came in. It's fake. It's not real. You want to know why? In 2008, the Chicago Blackhawks signed Cristobal Huey, a goaltender from France, to a four-year deal at $5.5 million. About a year and a half later, they threw him in the AHL, and they buried his $5.5 million. They used that $5.5 million to go out and acquire a whole bunch of guys at the deadline and call up a whole bunch of youngsters like Andrew Ladd and Dustin Bufflin, and they won the Cup in 2010. And then the NHL said, hey, you know what? Let's put an end to this. So now when you bury a player in the minors, and the Rangers had done the same thing with Wade Redden, now when you bury a player in the minors, his full salary doesn't go off the books. Only a portion of it does. So now you have this exact same thing happening now. Tampa Bay did it last year. You got Vegas doing it with Mark Stone right now. You have a whole bunch of guys, pretty a whole bunch of teams pretty much legally circumventing the cap like the Blackhawks and the Rangers once did. The NHL hasn't put a stop to it. It is still allowed. I don't want to hear anything about it being, being unfair. It's part of the rules. Teams are 100% going to take advantage of it because the salary cap is fake. It's stupid and there, it shouldn't even be a hard cap in the first place. I mean, it's equal rules. Everybody, everybody plays on the same field. Exactly. It's. I mean, yeah. it's not like they're doing something that every team can't do, and it's just it's part of the game now. Yeah, it's, it's if you have it's exactly what I said the other day when JJ and I were talking. If you have an opportunity to take advantage of this, why wouldn't you? But the thing is, even if you do, how many teams have the advantage that the Avalanche do to say we're so damn good? We've already won forty-two games, and we're not even sixty games through the season. Actually, we're exactly sixty games through the season. We're so damn good that we can kick Landeskog away for 22 games and know that we're not even going to lose our first place spot. How many teams could do that? Because Vegas put Mark Stone on LTIR to bring in Jack Eichel. By the way, Mark Stone's not even healthy. Like I don't even think he'd be playing even without the, the acquisition of Jack Eichel. But let's just say that Mark Stone was wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sore, ailing, and just on LTIR so they can bring in Jack Eichel. Well, now Vegas is reeling. They've lost four straight. They're pretty much out of the playoff picture right now, and they might miss the playoffs, but they can't even bring Mark Stone back unless they clear up $9 million in cap space. So they don't have the same advantage the Avalanche did. The Tampa Bay Lightning last year, that was a big flex by them. We're going to put Kucherov on LTIR before the regular season even starts, so we know damn well we're going to be good enough to make the playoffs, and they did, and Kuch came back, and he led them in scoring, and they won another cup. This is what good teams do. It's part of the rules. It's an even playing field. If you're good enough to have your captain and $7 million top-line left winger who leads the team in goals with 30 sit out for 22 games and it doesn't affect you, that means you did a good job already and you deserve this. And you remember a couple weeks ago, I know you remember because we talked about it, but when Jared Bednar was asked after the game why he had scratched Darren Helm despite Helm being ready to go, and his answer was basically, I know what I'm getting out of Helm. 
it's kind of the same situation with Landeskog, right? Like you're saying, they're kind of in a comfortable position standing-wise. You know what you're going to get out of Landeskog for the rest of the season. Why not bring in a couple more guys, start experimenting like he, you know, we've been loving the experimenting word lately, start throwing names here and there, see who has chemistry with whom, and then you plop Landeskog right back into where he belongs. You know what you're going to get out of that top line come playoff time, and you also know a little bit more about the new guys you've brought in and how they fit into your lineup. And it's all thanks to the fact that Landeskog's seven million is off the books until the playoffs. I mean, this there's endless opportunities, and it's a it's a great way to look at it. Cause now, I mean, let's say you do bring in Claude Giroux, and let's say you give up, I don't know, a first round draft pick, Tyson Jose, and Justin Barron. Boom, there's your trade. You bring in Claude Giroux. Well, he's been playing on the left wing with Sean Couturier over the last few years, whenever they need him to play wing. So now you can just take him right away if you keep Val on the top line. You can put Drew with Burakovsky and Kadri right away. And then him and Val could kind of be interchangeable. And then suddenly you have a top line of Drew, McKinnon, and Ranton. And like, holy shit. So you have that as your top six. And let's say it gels and it works. And Drew continues to put up points. Well, what happens when Landiscock comes back? Now you sit there and you go, holy crap. Who do we do? Do we do we do who do we drop down to the third line? Is it this guy named Val Nachushkin who's been having a great year? Is it the new guy who's fit in? Is it Andre Burakovsky? You're deep. You have options. And most importantly, you have ideas of where to shake up the lineup if you need to in the playoffs, even with everybody healthy. Let's say the top line gets shut down, kind of like last year. They put Brandon Saad on the top line. Well, now you know you can put Claude Giroux on the top line and it'll work. Yeah, a fortunate misfortune, I guess we can call the Landeskog injury, right? And one name that we haven't floated out there that I think should be mentioned because you know i have it on i guess i don't know it's just a hunch we'll call it that martin kaut's going to be floated out there i think any trade Mm -hmm. for a forward will involve martin kaut i just don't think uh yeah i think the abs are ready to move on from him but let's take a quick second to talk about the ncaa men's ice hockey west regional championship hosted by the university of denver at budweiser event center located on the ranch campus in loveland you know josh manson is interested because he was an NCAA player himself. But this is two semifinal games, both on Thursday, March 24th, both going on at the Budweiser Event Center. You can get one ticket for both games on Thursday, and you could pick and choose which one you go to, or you can go ahead and go to both. Then there's a separate game. That's the championship game two days later on Saturday afternoon, March 26th. You could either get two-day packages for all three of the games, or you could just get single-day tickets and pick and choose again which one you want to use. So winner of this tournament goes to the Frozen Four in Boston on April 7th and 9th. DU is having a pretty good season. So, you know, go up there and cheer for the hometown team. Or, you know, if there's – I know there's a lot of implants. No, transplants. Not implants. I know there's a lot transplants. of. I know there's a lot transplants of transplants with in town. implants, <laughs> and all those transplants will probably like to see teams like North Dakota, Notre Dame, BU. You know, there's a lot of fans in Colorado of those schools, and there's a good chance that some of those schools are in the tournament. So, there's plenty of hotels within walking distance of the rink, plenty of bars, restaurants. Go up to Loveland, have yourself a nice little hockey weekend, and enjoy some NCAA hockey. And say hi to us, all three of us, me, Patrick, and Arif will be there with smiles on moving on here josh manson wasn't the only move joe sackick was busy making over the weekend along with the hockey show right we had the landiscog news break right on the top of the hockey show pretty much right when we finished up the hockey show we heard about the pavel francis re-signing so let's get into that excited to have pavel francis back and it feels like another little steal if you remember the last time he signed or i guess re-signed his contract you and I were discussing how it was such good timing because the rest of the league was starting to take notice of him. That if they didn't get that contract done when they had, that somebody was definitely going to come scoop him up and probably had a much better deal for Francis. I think we could say the same thing this year. So uh, another good little shout out to Joe Sackett for locking him up and not letting it get to the offseason. I'll never forget right before that Pavel Francis deal a couple years ago, there was a very popular Toronto Maple Leaf centric podcast I was listening to and they were complaining about their starting goalie Freddie Anderson's been having a rough patch and their backup was Michael Hutchinson before the Avs traded for him and they were like man if only we had a backup like this random guy in Colorado named Pavel Francouz or Francouz and they couldn't even pronounce his name right who is this guy where did they get him and why is he so good when you're on the map in Toronto you're on the map 
and the Avalanche locked him up for two years, four million. We obviously know with the injuries what happened. To get that same exact contract is a win for everybody. For Pavel Francouz, it's more money. It's a better deal. It's another good deal. It's another chance to be a tandem goalie with whoever the hell the starter is next year, Darcy Kemper or otherwise. Um, and for the Avalanche, it's a way to say, hey, we know you're better than a $2 million goalie, especially as a backup and a tandem goalie. But given the fact how little you've played for the first $4 million you make, cut us a little bit of slack here. And Pavel's like, yeah, I'll cut you some slack. You gave me all this money and I barely played. So... It's a good deal all around. And I remember when the news broke, you and I were talking about it, and you said, if the Avalanche give him anything more than $2 million, they're stupid. And if Francis takes anything less than that exact $2 million, he's stupid. And lo and behold, two times two, same exact deal. I'm telling you, not only does Jared Bednar listen to the show, but so does <laughs> Joe Sackick. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and that's exactly how I feel, right? And that's why I love the number that they actually landed on and how spot on we were with that analysis because, you know, Pavel Francouz definitely deserves to have that kind of money, if not more. He's he's a good goalie. He just hasn't had the opportunity to show it, whether it's a fault of his own or not. You know, however you want to look at injuries is up to you. But from the Avalanche's perspective, why give him any more when he hasn't shown you that he deserves it, right? So agreeing on the same uh, deal that he already had, just basically prolonging and keeping his tenure here. I, I love the move. It's like nothing ever happened. Just proceed as normal. Do we remember the tweet we talked about about a month ago when Frankie was asked about re-signing and he said, I love it here. My family love it here, loves it here, and I wish to stay here. You right. knew it was something where him and him and the team were going to work together to not lowball the team or the player. Yep. but to also not overpay from either end. Nobody's trying to win a deal here. We're just going to do the deal that makes sense, and this is the one that makes sense. Yep, yep, I love that. So, uh, yeah, where do we want to go from here? Do we want to get into the Calgary recap and uh, start talking about that game? Anything else? Let's do it, yeah. Yeah, because there was there was some fun, some fun information that came out of that Calgary game with the fact, before we talk about the game, let's talk about the, the, the idea that the Avalanche decided to play a man short in that game, not call anybody up. And uh, I love Jared Bednar because when you ask him a question, he answers exactly the question he was asked and nothing more. And let me kind of explain what I'm talking about. So the Avs obviously played a man short. And instead of calling up anybody, they decided to play one forward short because McDermott obviously played defense. And after the game, I asked Jared, I said, you guys are going on the road to California. Is this going to be just like a day-by-day -day scenario of whether or not you're going to call somebody up. And he said, yeah, like, you know, we, we're not, we're not dead set on playing 11 forwards every single game, but we'll take it day by day. Alternatively, he was asked this morning at practice uh, by Peter Baugh, if he's going to call up anybody for the two game trip. And he said, no, he said the Avs will continue to play with 19 players. And uh, that's, he, he, he doesn't envision calling anybody up. Well, what Jared Bednar didn't say was the fact that Joe Sackick was probably working on a trade and roster player number 20 being Josh Manson is going to meet us in California because we're playing the LA Kings and the San Jose Sharks and he's over in Anaheim. So when Jared was asked, are you going to call up another player? And he said, no, he was answering the question, but he didn't mention anything <laughs> about the fact that he's not, not only is he not only is he not going to call somebody up, but he's going to not call somebody up and he's going to play with a full roster. And the only way that those two things make sense is if you acquire someone. So shout out to Jared Bednar for answering exactly the question he was asked and nothing more. And not spilling the beans. If it was me, I'd, I'd have such a hard time keeping that secret. I mean, it's got to be fun <laughs> kind of knowing what's going on in the background and being told like, hey, just make sure you don't say anything about X or Y. Yeah, imagine, imagine him out there. If I was Jared, I would just screw with the media a little bit. I'd be like, so... We're not going to call somebody up, but we are going to play with a full roster tomorrow. Well, what do you mean, Jared? Figure it out. You'll see. Are you acquiring someone? I don't know. Is Bo Byron playing? I don't know. I didn't say that. Are you suiting up yourself? I don't know. I didn't say that either. You're gonna. We're not going to call anybody up, and we're going to play with a full roster. You figure out the rest. Well, and uh, yeah. I mean, he's also, he's just always got that little smirk on his face too, where you know he's got other ideas turning in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that was kind of the way it went. But yeah, well, I love that. Yeah, he, he answered a question in the media room yesterday post game. And he said something along the lines of, I've been reading a lot of articles about blah, 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 whatever he was talking about. 
you know that Jared Bedner's reading everybody's work. You know he's listening to this podcast. You know he's keeping an eye on media. So we love you, Jared, if you're listening, which you are. Yeah, Jared, let's flip some houses together. But no, you're right. You always throw our podcast uh, right there in the middle of our article. Um, so I love that about that about you. So you're always plugging us in there. So if he is reading your Atlanta Cog article, he's also he goes, whether what by this? choice or not, he's hearing us. Oh, these guys, these guys are pretty good. Let's let's listen more during my drive into the rink. The production is so choice. <laughs> you guys, let's get into the Calgary game and the uh, X's and O's of it, not just the post game presser. Because I thought the most telling part about that game was just the. The versatility that this Avalanche team has started to show in recent weeks. And by that, I mean they can Mm -hmm. play any style of game that kind of gets thrown at them, and they can adapt to it and then eventually figure it out and and overcome it. I mean, we saw them kind of slip up there for a little bit, but I think the the Calgary game is a very telling telling piece of work. It absolutely is, and it's a fact that even though the Calgary Flames had 46 shots, did they— did they really feel dangerous before the third period? No, they kept them. They kept them out. They didn't. That's exactly what Jared said post game, and he even, if if you want to talk about a coach that's kind of, you know, done his homework, he said straight up. He said Calgary, like Carolina, likes to have high shot volume, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're high danger. And he said it straight up. And he said before the third period, we we didn't give up a lot, and he was right. So the Avalanche played the Calgary Flames game to a T. And said, yeah, you guys can outshoot us. It's fine. You guys can be physical. It's fine. We got Curtis in the lineup and we'll be good. Nathan McKinnon's out here throwing hits, scoring a couple big goals. And they did just fine. And it was it was pretty much like the perfect, you and I have been talking about this a lot, Jared Bednar adapting to the team he's playing against. And he got his team to do that. And that is the biggest part here. Well, and what I love about it is that he just saw this exact same team, what, a week ago. So he got to take that film, got to take that experience and turn it into a game two, right? It's almost like he's back into a playoff series here when he has that many matchups against a team in a given month. He can treat it almost like a playoff series. Like, all right, what did they do to us last time? How did they beat us? Of course, it was a Johnny Gaudreau three-on-three overtime. Not exactly they beat us, beat us, because the Avalanche were in that game the entire time. But what can we do differently to overcome what they threw at us? And he figured it out he accomplished it not only that he did it on the back of his goaltender who had a phenomenal game as well who we all had been poking at and he said you know what avalanche land right here right here he shoved he shoved it (laughs) right up your yeah that's that's a middle finger on skype but i'm gonna give you the he shoved it right up your hoop like that's what that's what that's what darcy kemper did that was an unbelievable performance right down to the wire, right down to that last power play because Logan O'Connor shot the puck over the glass with a big oopsies at the end. 61-second power play, six-on-four attack, and Darcy Kemper had to make a sprawling save on Matthew Kachuk, and he preserved the shutout. 46 saves, career high, excellent play from Darcy, excellent play by the Avalanche, excellent coaching by Jared. And, you know, you talked about that game the week prior, eight days earlier. They played well. They played well. It was a high-scoring, high-shooting game. Each team had 34, 35 shots, 3-3, to heading into overtime. The Avalanche played fine. They could have came out and done the exact same thing and hoped for the win, but no, they made some adjustments, and they did better than the time before. Not to mention they did it all without their captain, right? That's another big thing to take, in, yeah, to take into account. Val Nichushkin on the top line, Alex Newhook in the top six. Give me more Alex Newhook. I think we are watching this guy develop in front of our eyes, and he's starting to become just one of the most dangerous pieces about this team because of the way he can score goals and shoot the puck. I love me some Alex Newhook. Sure, he has some glimpses of maybe, you know, not-so-good hockey, but I think if you put him with talent, those those not-so-good glimpses kind of tend to go away because he's going to feel more defensively responsible. He's going to feel more obligated to stay on that top line. And, you know, you get given a good role, you're going to do your best to accomplish stuff in that good role. So give me more Alex Newhook. And, hey, give me more Alex Newhook in the top six, maybe even the top three. What? No, 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 no. I got a better idea for you. But for starters, did you catch how Alex Newhook and the entire arena thought he scored yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. That double doinker. That was an ex and like an incredible shot, man. That was Joe Sackick, like the wrister from the circle. Thank you. Yes. But I'm glad you mentioned Alex Newhook because you transitioned to what I wanted to talk about next without even realizing it. So going back to the trade deadline, going back to 
shoring up the Avalanche's depth. Whether it's Claude Giroux, someone else, or both Claude Giroux and someone else. I don't think we're talking enough about how much the Avalanche's bottom six scoring has kind of dropped off. Remember in the beginning of the season when we were talking about JT Comfort kind of rebounding from last year's offensive woes? And he started the season with 10 points in 12 games, five goals, five assists, and he was kind of all over the ice. Well, now if you look at JT Comfer, last season in 48 games, he had 10 goals, eight assists. This season in 48 games, he has 11 goals, eight assists. It's the same stat line. The same 19 PIMS, the same one power play goal, the same three to two shorthanded points. It's pretty much the same season. Logan O'Connor started the season going strong. Well, Logan O'Connor has fallen off offensively as well. And then the third part of that line is Alex Newhook. And Alex Newhook isn't even a point per a half a point per game pace anymore. He's now got 23 points in 50 games. Now, the reason why I say all this is because outside of Alex Newhook, who in the bottom six can you rely on offensively when an injury arises like we just saw with Gabe Landeskog? Are you comfortable putting Logan O'Connor or JT Comfer or Tyson Jost or Darren Helm or Abe Kubel? Are you comfortable? That's another guy, by the way, who's dropped way off. Mm-hmm. Abe Kubel. Are you comfortable putting any of these guys in the top six? At this point in time, no. At no. one point in the season, you, I mean, I remember Logan O'Connor did get some top six minutes. And that was back in October, November. Since then, it's been a consistent, pretty much lull from both of O'Connor and Comfer offensively. I'm not saying they're not playing good. They're providing where they need to provide. They're killing penalties. They're energy players. But in terms of offensive production, Tyson Jost, another guy, his offensive production has been lesser each season for the last four or five of them. Obviously, he's playing less minutes. He's not getting offensive zone draws and things like that. But these are not guys you can rely on offensively. Alex Newhook is the only one. But Alex Newhook is also someone you don't want to have to throw to the Wolves. So... He kind of reminds me of Tyler Sagan when he was a rookie in Boston in 2011. Sagan had 22 points that year, 11 goals, 11 assists. That's it. And now we know him as the guy he is in Dallas, the star that can put up 80, 90 points. But Boston didn't take him in that season and place him in the top six. They put talent around him on the third line. So what I'm trying to get at is your top six is what we know it to be with Landis and Val on the left wing. If you bring in somebody like Claude Giroux, if you bring in somebody like Brandon Hagel or Archery Lekkinen or JT Miller's probably not going to get traded, but J- whatever, just whatever guys you could think of, you place them with Alex Newhook and you have a high-scoring third line. And now when an injury arises, because you know an injury will arise and someone from the third line needs to step up to the top six, now you have choices. It's not Alex Newhook or a bunch of guys you're not comfortable with. It's Alex Newhook and the talent he's playing with. And that's kind of where Joe Sackick needs to go with this. And I don't need to tell him this. Jared Bednar is going to listen to us and tell him himself. No, I'm just kidding. Joe knows this. He knows that that's where he needs the the help right now. Because early in the season, it was the top guys that were kind of lacking. And it was the bottom six that was pitching in, like you were saying, O'Connor and Comfer and these guys. Well, now it's it's the top guys again. It's it's J, it's uh sorry, it's the top line. It's Kadri, it's Berkey. It's Val Nichushkin, so your top six forwards, and then it's Makar and Taves. It's your top guys that are putting in the offensive numbers, and you need more talent around Newhook, offensive talent, I should say, on that third pair. And I like the stat line that you read out there about Confer because what that tells me, and at 26 years of age, turning 27 here in April, he this is who you he know is. what you're, you're. This is who he is. You know what you're getting out of him, and it's. We've seen his ceiling. So, um, no, I think that was a very telling stat and maybe telling a little bit to how expendable he might really be. Yeah, and it's not to say that he's a bad player. It's just to no, say that at, at, at $3.75 million, uh, you can do a lot with that. I hear you. I hear you. But we got to move on here, and let's talk about our friends at Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton. Everybody already knows Total Beverage, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster, just north of Highway 36 there, and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Now, Arif, with more 
trade deadline stuff coming up here. What around the league, what storylines from other teams, what storylines from other players are you keeping a close eye on? What do you want to see? What do you ho- Just give me an, a brief little synopsis of Arif's next week excitement for the trade deadline. The Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending situation is going to be fun to take a look at. That one is going to be exciting because... This is a player that you had no idea. This is a, a position that you had no idea you needed help with until Arif went and uh, jinxed their starting goalie and Jack Campbell and made him become <laughs> pretty much nothing. Uh, so what are they going to do? Is it going to be Marc-Andre Fleury? Is it going to be Jonas Corposalo? Is it going to be the young guy in Ottawa who's having a great season, Anton Forsberg? Is it going to be uh, Semyon Varlamov who's got another year on his deal? There's a lot of ways you can go about it. Anaheim's the other storyline, and it's funny that they just traded one, but they also got, in one of their pending UFAs, I should say, in Josh Manson, but they also got Hampus Lindholm, and they got, I believe, Ricard Raquel is also a pending UFA. So that's another guy you want to look at. The Edmonton, or sorry, the Montreal situation with Ben Sherratt, they also have Jeff Petrie, who's got a couple more years left on his deal after this year, who's looking to get moved. Jake DeBrusque asked for a trade way, way back in the beginning of the season. Vladimir Tarasenko asked for a trade way back in the beginning of the season. Maxime Comtois from the Ducks asked for a trade long time ago, too. There's a lot of depth guys. Andrew Kopp, by the way, that's another forward that the Avalanche, you know, could bring in part of that hegel Lekkinen group of, like, depth guys to play on the third line. He can play left wing or center. So there's a lot of fun storylines here that are going around. And, uh... I'm excited to see it. Is Marc-Andre Fleury going to move? And if so, is he going to go to Toronto? Like, there are so many things to keep an eye on. And uh, the Claude Giroux story is another one. It's just, it's going to be fun, man. There's there's going to be a lot of movement. I can feel it. Mark Giordano, you know Seattle's going to trade him somewhere. He's looking for a cup, and, you know, he's a veteran guy. And then all the way at the top of the list is a defenseman in Arizona, and Jacob Chikrin, because the Avalanche brought in Josh Manson, and I could see the St. Louis Blues saying, yeah, I see you're Josh Manson, and we're going to go ahead and bring in Jacob Chikrin. There's a lot of things that are going to happen between now and next Monday and on next Monday, uh, heading into that game that the Avalanche play against the Oilers after the deadline, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all kind of caught off guard by the trade today with Joe Sackick, right, and the Avalanche and Josh Manson because we still had some time, and it felt like, all right, this this was a little bit premature. You had a, uh, about a week, maybe eight days left to, to still do this. Was there reasoning behind that, do you think? Why why do you think Joe Sackett went ahead and made that move now? Because we had heard from a lot of teams, I think Pierre Lebrun was the one that reported, that many teams were waiting as long as they possibly could because of all the salary cap implications. But now with the Landeskog situation, Bingo. you might have had the green light. You think Bingo. that was all? It, that was purely it? it? It was that, and it was the fact that their schedule this week is light. They played on Sunday against the Calgary Flames. We are recording on Monday. They play Tuesday. Then they're off until Friday. And then they're off until Monday. So they've got Tuesday's game, three days until the next game. They play Friday, three days until the next game. They play Monday, trade deadline day. So a lot of time to make this move. And again, the fact that he's in California and the Avalanche are going to spend the next two games in California, like it's easy. Josh Manson will probably play Tuesday. And then he'll have a couple days to get reacquainted to his team. And then he'll play again Friday. And then he'll come back home with them, have the weekend to chill in Denver and get situated. And then Monday's trade deadline day. It's it's going to happen that quick. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. I mean, uh, jumping right into California teams. It's, it's, he's not going to get thrown off by any um, time zones. I wish I was spending the next four days in California. A little bit jealous for the Colorado Avalanche there. <laughs> Um, yeah, they leave right when the storm's about to hit on Wednesday, so mm, lucky them. Yeah, can't wait. But yeah, with that, let's talk <laughs> about the, the next two games. L.A., San Jose. L.A. is a surging team. L.A., if you remember, during the offseason was a team I called being a really good team, being a playoff team. They came out of the gate really bad, made me look really bad. But here we are, L.A., second place in the Pacific right now. Yeah, LA second place in the Pacific because of that other team we've been talking about is just reeling in Vegas and and the Oilers are just a forever disappointment. But (laughs) I don't want to take away from what they're doing. They went out and acquired Philip Deneau, very famously known for being an excellent shutdown defenseman, shutdown defenseman, shutdown forward centerman, but unable to score goals, especially lately. Well, he's got 17 in 59 games. That's a career high. 
He's also got 35 points. So he has been doing awesome. And because he is able to take away those defensive minutes from Andre Kopitar, well, now Andre Kopitar is scoring a lot of goals too, and he's playing well. And then they also brought in Victor Arvidsson from the Nashville Predators, and he's got 18 goals and 38 points in 50 games. So they made some pretty damn good additions. Drew Doughty's been rejuvenated all year. Granted, he's injured. John Quick has been excellent, just an unbelievable goalie. He kind of turned back the clock as well. So everything kind of aligned perfectly for the LA Kings, and I think they're going to make a deadline move too. They're going to be fun to watch. But for that game Tuesday, you know, it's going to be a fun game. I mean, that's a big, heavy team that plays a big, heavy game, and you're going to be on the road. It's going to be not necessarily a sure thing of a victory, but it'll be a fun game. Yep, yep. Yep, absolutely. So uh, look out for that. L.A., San Jose next. We'll probably be back before then. I don't know. Hopefully the Avalanche give us some more to talk about. That'd be nice. Maybe another trade or some wild stuff happening in the L.A. game just so we could, you know, fill a long podcast for you guys because <laughs> we're trying to hit you a couple times a week here. Yeah, we're going to look to do another show midweek. And then I believe the plan is, JJ, that we do a podcast Tuesday right after the trade deadline before the game against Edmonton. So, um that is the plan, and if it's not, then uh, let's go ahead and keep this on the air so that we can call out JJ and make sure this podcast happens next Monday. Well, I would just say, <laughs> I mean, right, it depends on how active it is, right? I mean, it feels like it's going to be a very active deadline, but if the Avalanche end up not making any moves, which I doubt is going to happen, then it doesn't yeah. make sense for us to come break down yeah, for the, sure. uh, trade but deadline. But the reality is the trade deadline is at 1 p.m. Mountain Time next Monday. Usually trades are kind of trickling in until about 1.30, 1.45 because the NHL line is kind of backed up. They're using a fax machine. Yeah, they're still old school and uh, dial-up internet and all that. So once the final trades are all announced, we will jump on probably around 1.45, 2 p.m. Mountain Time. We'll get that podcast soon. We'll try to get it online and upload it before puck drops at Ballerine at 7.30. So look out for that one. That's going to be fun. Agreed. I'm assuming those were your closing thoughts. That were those were my closing thoughts. That's all I got. I talked enough today, and I could see you guys looking at me like, "Where the hell is he getting all these words from?" Oh man, who did he bring up? Patrick, the Rangers player that we, Wade, you and Wade, I looked at each other. Wade Redden. Wade I was Redden. I was making a point. The UA and the Redden thing were making a point that the trade that that the salary cap is is made up. I bet you 80% of our listeners are just shaking their head like, "How the hell does he remember a name like Wayne Redden?" Wait. 80? You're going with 80%? Wade Redden. I didn't even remember it. <laughs> Come on. Wade Redden was a big name sometimes. Someone's going to tweet you and say you sound like an idiot. Maybe it's going to be one of my burner accounts. That's all right. I'm used to it. <laughs> sound like an idiot on this podcast is what I do, baby. Um, but yeah, other than that, thanks for hanging out with us. This was technically our Sunday edition. Couldn't come on Sunday because the Avalanche were playing. So we got a long one for you here to start the week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far on the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you.